I have always wished that my Spanish was better. Living in Southern California and going to Mexico a lot for surfing, weekend trips, stuff like that, it's just very handy. I took three years of it in high school, but I really didn't learn that much from the books. I basically only got really good at asking various types of people where the library is located, which turns out to be not a phrase you use that often when you're on vacation. Rosetta Stone is a much more organic and easy way to learn a new language because it really immerses you in that language. It's the most trusted language learning program available on desktop, and also it has an app. Rosetta Stone is the trusted expert for 30 years with millions of users and 25 languages offered, including Spanish, French, Italian, German, Korean, Chinese, Japanese, Dutch, Arabic, and Polish. Like I said, it's fast language acquisition because it really immerses you in the language. There's no English translations, so you really learn to speak, listen, and think in that language. They also have speech recognition features like True Accent, which gives you feedback on your pronunciation. It's like having a personal trainer for your accent. It's also an amazing value. They offer a lifetime membership, which includes all 25 languages, which is perfect for any and all trips you might have in your future with various languages you might want to learn. Don't put off learning that new language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, other world listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com otherworld today. This episode is brought to you by Harry's. Harry's sent me a razor starter kit recently to try, and I put it to use very quickly because I keep myself clean shaven. In fact, I pretty much shave every single day because I have lots of facial hair. It grows back very quickly, and it's also really thick, and it hurts a lot when I shave normally, with a bad razor at least. So I've been using Harry's razors for like a week now. They're very nice. It's a five-blade razor, and I have to say, it really does effortlessly shave through my normally very annoying facial hair. It doesn't hurt one bit, no tugging, anything like that. And it stayed sharp the entire time as well. I'm very impressed so far. It also has kind of a good weight to it. It's like heavier than normal. I don't know. It's like, it's just got a good weight to it. I really like that. I didn't know I liked it before, but now I know I like it. I also really liked the shaving cream just because it smells really good. Harry's saw customers getting ripped off by questionable shaving products and decided to do something better. They found their own way to make beautifully designed razors for a fraction of the price of other big brands. Harry's has a customizable delivery option for scheduled refills as low as $2, half of what you pay from other big brands. Don't settle for the status quo. Blaze your own trail with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com otherworld. That's harrys.com otherworld for a $3 trial set. Welcome to Otherworld. I'm your host, Jack Wagner. This week's episode comes from a woman named Meredith. She originally emailed me about a very specific thing that happened to her with her boyfriend in the state of Florida. And she also mentioned that it sort of involved some weird things that were also happening at home with her family. So I knew there was going to be a little bit of background information leading up to the main story she's going to tell me. What I did not expect is that it was going to be five hours of background information. This ended up being a five and a half hour long interview with Meredith, who I got to know very well. And it ended up being a story that, well, quite frankly, she ended up telling me almost her life story. And as it turns out, there was a lot of paranormal stuff 
intertwined with her very unusual upbringing. And on top of that, this takes place in Florida. And if you know anything about the state of Florida, you'd know it's a very strange place. And sometimes, even when there's paranormal stuff happening right in front of you, the Florida can outweird the paranormal. So, this is going to be a two-part episode. In this first part, we're not even going to get to the paranormal thing she originally emailed me about. I'm just going to let Meredith take it from here. I think everybody's going to love this story. I don't know what else to say about it. Strap in. This is a strange one. This is episode 17. The title is Meredith's House, and you're listening to Otherworld. Yes, it is. We're still, you still roll? Yeah, let us, let us know when you're ready. Okay, hey, um... It's a feel for the acid test. Can you tell me something on the Pacific Island? Yeah, pretty. This is a, a story about... So, my name is Meredith. I grew up in middle of nowhere. Um... Middle of nowhere is central Florida, like near Orlando, but still like like probably an hour or two driving distance from any major cities, you know, um, under 10K population and um, grew up just like ultra, I don't know, everybody there just like hunts, they fish. Like I grew up, I still have like the first bass that I ever caught, like mounted like taxidermied <laughs> with it like my plaque like saying my name underneath it and um my brother has literally been bitten by an alligator before <laughs> and um I've been in a rodeo so like yeah I don't think people can tell looking at me now or like listening to me I don't think I have like a country accent or anything but grew up very rural for sure <laughs> um I was actually like homeschooled for a little bit of my life so I don't know if you've spent a lot of time in the South, but it's just a very different place, I think, overall. Um, so, like, even though I was very, like, I was raised very religious, I started kind of coming out of it. I actually got sent to, like, the most bootleg private school whenever I was in sixth grade. Um, we were basically a, a charity case. Um, my mom didn't want to send us to public school. We'd been homeschooled. She was super um, so this tiny kindergarten through 12th grade school, uh, offered to let us come through without tuition. They didn't have teachers. They had like video, video school. Like, um, they would have like VHS recordings of like classes that were filmed in the nineties. Yeah. There's so many like just weird little things. I feel like if you're in a remote area, just everything gets weirder. And then Florida is weird to start with. So it was like kindergarten through 12th grade, and there were only 60 students total who went there. So it was like super tiny. I had six kids in my class. My sister had two. We had to read a lot of the Bible and the principal who would like run the classes, the religious or at least the Bible study classes was like not a very good guy. And anyway, like that whole experience made me not like atheist, but I at least wasn't Christian anymore, you know? And so I would have been like 13, I guess, when that happened. 
Um, and yeah, I started to, um, I don't know, like form my own identity. I hung out with just kind of like, I don't know, like, yeah, skateboarders, you know, like that kind of thing. But I remember very vividly that the house across from my like best friend's house in high school uh, and middle school was like a punk house. Like there were just like 10 people probably all living in the same house. And I'd see them and I'd just be like, they look fun. <laughs> like I'd like to be involved with that. I, I remember finding someone's CD collection in their yard and taking it. Like somebody had just dumped it outside. I don't know if there was like a breakup or like what happened. But I was like, who are these people? Like, um, and whenever I was 18, I met a guy through MySpace who I found out like retrospectively had lived in that house. Um, and there were like different bands and stuff that would, uh, like I say bands, it's like hardly even bands. They'd form for like a few weeks, you know, and play some shows and, um, then quit and reform another band. And then it would be like a different name, but the same people kind of traded around. And it's such a small town that you end up knowing like, yeah, this like whole, this was like all of the sort of alternative crowds tended to hang out together. Um, yeah, I listened to the other episode where it talked about the hat man. Um, and I had had this experience with something that, now that I've heard that episode seems really similar, but I never connected it to the hat man stories. Like I'd seen mention to the hat man. Um, I think it like, has kind of become a meme even. Um, but I hadn't connected it back to my very, like I lived in a haunted house, but my very first kind of paranormal experience <laughs> um, involved seeing an entity, I guess, that looked very similar. He didn't have a hat though. So it just never connected to me that it was something that maybe other people had seen. Um the, this experience, I think, was the scariest one that I've ever had. Like, I've had a bunch of weird stuff um, connected to my house happen. But this first event was just like, so like, I get freaked out now talking about it. Um, but I would have been, I think, 11. My sister, my little sister is nine. Um we were homeschooled at the time still. So we were like at home in the middle of the day. And um, we used to have like a screened in porch in the front of the house. And it had been, um, my dad was a carpenter and he had like, like, I don't know, converted it into just like a foyer, you know, like we had six to seven people living in a three bedroom place with one bathroom. So like, my room wasn't even a bedroom. It was like a converted sunroom. So there were French doors from my room. And my, my sister and I shared that room um, leading out into the porch. Um, but at the time, the porch was sealed. But we see this guy just pressed up against the French, like the window in the French doors. Like we had blinds on it. But you see this like perfect silhouette. Um of someone like with their hands pressed up against the glass, just like they're looking into the window, but so with their head in between their hands. Um, 
And it just looks wrong. Like in retrospect, I can kind of pinpoint some reasons why it looked wrong, but I feel like I knew immediately that it wasn't a home intruder. Um, Not that that would be any less scary (laughs) to have a home intruder. Like I feel like they're scary in different ways, but my sister and I just like stopped and stared at it for what felt like a really long time. It seemed bigger than most people. (laughs) Um, And it, didn't have any details. You know, it didn't have any like lumps where there might be clothes. It was just like a very smooth outline. Like you could see all the individual fingers. Um, Like it plausibly could have been a person. Um, But the lack of clothing um, and lack of like hair, you know, you couldn't see any. It was just like a smooth head. And then it just like faded away. Um, And it was a really big guy. Like at the time, you're not thinking about anything. You're just terrified. And we, I don't know about my sister, but I had um, this, I don't know. Like, I, I've been in some scary, like, actual scary situations before, like, where I thought that there was a home intruder or something. And I wasn't as scared as I was in this moment. It was just, like, the stillness of it, um, the, the hands being up against the window where it looks like it's, specifically watching, you know, it's not just hanging out there. It's got its hands pressed up against um, the window. Um, But after the fact, um, I thought about it more. At the time, um, we couldn't use the front door. So this was the year that we got like four hurricanes back to back in Florida. And um, we had like a big wooden front door and whenever it would rain a lot, it would like swell up from the humidity. And um, for a while you could still open it if you like slammed your whole body weight into it. But at a certain point it would get to where you couldn't even open it um, while doing that. Like I can remember bruising my shoulder, you know, just trying to like get in, uh, get in or out of the front door. But we had like given up on using it completely. Um, And these are things that I remember because my mom was like, well, should I call the police? Like whenever my sister and I were telling her about this, she was like, well, I should call the police. It was a home invader. And I was like, I don't think that it was. The other thing is um, our house was like wood floors and elevated on cinder blocks. Um, So any footstep that you made it like, it's very easy to hear. There's like a lot of reverberation and there were no footsteps. Um, And then the other thing is that the like foyer area that he would have been in. Um, My mom was like, at the time, like not a full-blown hoarder. It kind of evolved into full-blown hoarding. Um, But the porch was still just full of like random stuff, like a garage, you know, like it was full. The closed-in porch was just full of like random objects. So it was really hard to navigate anyway. There was just like a clearing from the front door to like the next front door because again it was a closed in porch so we still had yeah we had like two doors leading into the house um so I feel like we would have heard something but this was just silent so I was trying to convince my mom like it wasn't a home invader um I think it was something paranormal um and she didn't actually believe us at first um she was just kind of laughing about it But then in the next 
couple of weeks, we had some like very mild poltergeist activity kind of. So um, the creepiest one was that, so this house was very, very old. It was built in, I think the 1900 or 1910, like somewhere in between that window. Um, And we had this old like antique glass doorknob and it just broke in half and shot like 15 feet out into the middle of the living room while my sister and I were home and almost hit our cat. Um, And my sister saw that happen. I heard it happen. I was like in a neighboring room and was like, what just happened? And yeah, the doorknob was just like cleanly, like broken off um, and shot across the room. And then I remember a perfume bottle, um, like shot off my dresser or something and almost hit me. And then my mom, we were telling my mom about this. Obviously she can see that the doorknob is gone. And we're both, my sister and I are both maintaining that like, we didn't break the doorknob. It just like flew off. And my mom was still just kind of like, that's weird. That's creepy. But I don't think was convinced. But then, um, something, I think it was like a basket or something like shot off and a shelf that we had that was pretty high up and almost hit her. So like none of the things did end up hitting anybody, but it was like weird that they seemed kind of targeted. Like the doorknob almost hit my cat. The perfume bottle was like aimed at me and then the basket at my mom. So my mom ended up being like, okay, there is a haunting. We need to, she was still pretty religious at the time and was like, we need to like take care of this. We need to like um, figure out why this is happening. And so, yeah, whenever I was listening to the Hatman episode, um, they talked about how people would oftentimes see the Hatman um, before or during times of like extreme, um, just like stress or really like dreadful life circumstances. Um, like that people see it whenever there's inter like familial drama or like people who are homicidal or suicidal or have drug issues, I think the guy said too. Um, So when I heard that, I just got like chills because this kind of, that really lines up with what happened um, in my my house. Um, So my dad had had a drug problem for a few years Um, he had been addicted to heroin and moved to Florida to get off of it. And he succeeded for a long time. He like turned his life around. He became like this religious convert, which I think is pretty common with addicts to go from being like addicted to using God to kind of get out of it and you become really religious. Um, But when his mom died, he relapsed. So when I was seven years old, he relapsed um, and then continued to struggle with it. But my mom up until that point hadn't, been like they got in fights and stuff and it wasn't a great home environment um but it just got off the rails bad uh shortly after this incident so my mom started drinking really heavily whenever I was um 10 or 11 and um it was just like yeah the worst home environment um my mom would, um, she took Xanax too for anxiety. So it's like, if you're taking Xanax and you're drinking, then you don't even remember half the stuff that you're doing. Um, and she took issue 
with me being kind of like critical of her drinking because when I started going to like private school, for instance, whenever I was in sixth grade, um, I'd have to get her up in the morning to take my sister and I to school. And um, I'd get upset because she'd be too out of it for me to even wake up. And I'm like, we, you need to get up. We've got to go to school. Um, my mom starts like driving us drunk to school every morning. Um, like she would run the red lights and stuff. It was terrifying. She would just like be out of her mind, still drunk. And like, yeah. So there was one day that I got her up for school. We were driving. And before we made it even like more than a couple blocks, not even, um, we just like gone around the corner. I could tell she was like too inebriated to drive. Um, and I was asking her like, Hey, can we please just like turn around? Like you shouldn't be driving. Let's just go back home. And we're probably a mile out from my house. And she's like speeding through a, a stretch where like other kids are walking to school. You know, it was like freaking me out. And a bird just swoops down in front of the car and she hits it. And I, I don't know about you. I've never hit a bird in my car before. It, it was kind of just like already a little bit like, oh my God, um, and I'm like, please just like stop the car. Let us get out. We're still, we can walk home. We're still pretty close. Um, but she's like really bent on driving and mad that I'm asking her to stop the car. And we get a little ways further and another bird, <laughs> another bird swoops in and she hits it with the car. Um, and at this point, I'm freaking out. Like the first one I was like, that, I mean, bad timing, but um, it didn't, like, at this point, I'm starting to feel, like, just this really bad feeling, like, super bad feeling. Um, and I'm, like, crying, like, stop the car. Um, she keeps going. <laughs> and the third bird swoops down in front of the car um, and gets hit. And at this point, I'm thinking, I don't know exactly what I'm thinking, but I feel like we're, this is, it can't be anything but a bad omen. Like three birds. And this drive wasn't that long. A cop pulls us over, <laughs> sees her do this, pulls us over. And I'm sitting there in the passenger seat um, wondering, do I tell this police officer that she's not safe to drive? Um, do I do that and get her sent to... It, it was just this weird pivotal moment where I could have kind of had someone intervene and make sure that we could get out of the car. But I was also scared of making things worse with my mom and with the rest of my family. Um, I didn't say anything. We were pretty close to the school at this point. Um, she got it together to talk to the police officer. He did look a little bit um, like, un I'm sure he could see that I had been crying. Like I'm sure the car didn't look like it was a good environment 
but you don't expect someone to be drunk at, you know, 8, 8 o'clock in the morning either. Um, so, yeah, um, we ended up making it to school. But obviously there's nothing explicitly paranormal about this. But it has stuck in my mind ever since. Like, I have not been able to forget that. And, uh, yeah, things didn't get better from that point. You know what I mean? Like, things got got worse from there. It was downhill from there. <laughs> she started just being really, like, cruel to me. Like, she'd call me names or... Um, complain that I was upset like my dad saw it too and he was just like don't take it personally she's just like yeah struggling um but yeah it got really bad um my mom I kind of became like I guess the scapegoat for the family I have two other siblings so four siblings total including myself um and yeah the it was just like constant fighting both of my parents are like my dad was on heroin and also was an alcoholic, so nobody was sober at any point. Everybody kind of hated their lives. It was just toxic, like extremely toxic and got worse and worse. Um, and so whenever I heard that um, the hat man <laughs> might show up in situations like that, I just felt like, is like, what is that? what is it? Like, is it showing up somewhere and then causing issues? Is it showing up somewhere and like feeding off the energy? Like, what is that? And it like freaked me out super bad to think of something that has like a, an interest in human suffering. Like, I have no idea. I'm not claiming to know what it is, but just super, super creepy. And that's what made me want to come on the podcast and talk about this was kind of yeah, realizing that this might not be a unique experience. Um, yeah. So after the the guy that we saw through the window, the like hat man kind of entity, um, I had told a couple of our neighborhood friends about that incident. And I had those neighborhood friends at my house and my friend, I I mean this in the best way possible, but he's like, a less awful but still pretty accurate version of like Eric Cartman from South Park in real life. He's like very much just like, I don't know, says stuff that you wouldn't believe. Like he doesn't have the same, it's not like the same flavor of bad stuff, but it is the level of like blatant disrespect and chaos. And he was like, this house isn't haunted. Like that's bullshit, whatever. And he turned off all the lights and was like trying to scare the friends that were there and were like if there is anything in this house like show yourself and like cackling you know like just like laughing and he I love him but he's got a very weird energy and um as we were talking about this my closet we're like in the dark and my closet in the living room, it's like a linen's cabinet or whatever. You see this like horrible green light um, through the, like a perfect outline of the closet, like green light 
we all see it and we like open the closet and we don't see it. We close the closet, we see it. My friend who had originally been very like brazenly, like nothing is haunted, starts getting really freaked out. He's like, no, what is it though? And I was like, I I had told him as he was doing this, like, stop, you're going to get the house haunted again. Like, I don't want to talk about it. Like, let's not... I, the first thing was really scary. I don't want to invite anything into my house. Um, He ends up getting really freaked out. And then, yeah, the actual full, basically 24-7 kind of haunting happened after that event. The house would just make constant noise. Like there would be footsteps, there would be banging in the walls. It was like nonstop to the point that we all just got used to it. But our friends would come over and just be like, what is this? Like, why is your house just noisy all the time? Like, even if you were alone, like it would still be. So it became a thing where people would like, like I heard at one point that, you know, you're like at a party or something and someone would be like talking about a scary story or something that happened to them. And it would devolve into being like, Imagine that you were at Meredith's house in the middle of the night. Imagine if you had to spend the night there and they'd be like, no, I could never do that. Like it was something that people who had been to the house were just like, uh, I never want to come here at night. (laughs) Um, And like my sister and I were just, yeah, it was super normal to us to where we didn't even really um, think about it. At one point, my sister um, had... I think she had some weed or something. She was probably like 14 and my mom called the cops and the cops told us that they thought the house was haunted. Like they pulled my mom aside and we're like, I've never said this before. I feel weird even saying it, but I think your house is haunted and I can't really explain why, but (laughs) you've got like super bad vibes. Um, And I do want to say too, because this is relevant for the future, my mom was always kind of in denial about the house being haunted. Like we just never even brought stuff up to her hardly because she'd try to just brush it under the rug, which was super weird to us. We didn't, I don't know. There were signs everywhere and she was just like, yeah, it's weird, but it's not haunted. I think while she was in the depths of addiction, she just stopped being able to care about it. She just didn't want to hear about it. So believe it or not, that's not even the story that I came on here to tell today. Um, So the main story involves something that happened when I was, I guess, 20, um, 20 to 21. I had started dating. um, I'd started dating a guy who was in that local kind of like... (laughs) I don't know, punk scene. Um, And he, it had come up that my house was haunted. Like I tended to give people kind of a warning before they'd come over to my house. If they didn't come over to my house, I did not talk about it. It wasn't something that I wanted to talk about because people aren't very believing. But if someone was going to come over to my house, I did tend to give them a warning. Like, hey, um, it, it is haunted. Like, I don't know what haunted means, but like stuff will happen that doesn't make sense. Like you will probably hear or see something. (laughs) 
So um, I, um, he ended up saying that he believed me. He'd had like a paranormal experience himself. And he described um, that he and two other friends had been using a Ouija board um, and they didn't have like the, is it called a planchette? They didn't have the little piece. So they were using a shot glass. And he said that it didn't seem to want to answer questions, but he swore that it was moving on its own, but it was just doing like a figure eight over and over again. And then at one point, the shot glass just shot off the board at one of the people who was there, whose name was Jordan. Um, so the three people who were there were the guy Trey, who I was dating at the time, and then Jordan and Erica, who were a couple. Um, later, Jordan and Erica broke up, and it was kind of a messy breakup. And um, so the guy Trey is telling me, like, when they broke up, Erica put the Ouija board in the trunk of Jordan's car um, just as a, like, screw you. Um, and he didn't know it was there. As far as I know, he never found out that that happened. I think he sold the car <laughs> and didn't ever discover that the Ouija board was in there. Trey was, like, just a total jerk. Like, worst person I've ever dated, honestly. It didn't last very long. We dated for a few months. And then afterward, I started dating Jordan, the guy who had had the Ouija board in his trunk. Um, and again, we had kind of had the discussion a ways into, like maybe a few weeks into dating, um, that my house was haunted. And he started telling me about stuff that had happened to him. Now, I never told him that I knew about the Ouija board um, because I knew details of, like, how badly his relationship had ended with Erica, and I didn't want to let on that I did. It was just an awkward sort of subject, and I just didn't, yeah, I didn't feel comfortable telling him about it, especially if he didn't know, then I'd be outing that Erica had done that. So I just kind of kept the, that detail to myself that I had a little bit of background, but he did tell me the Ouija board story, and it lined up with what Trey had told me. Um, and he said that he'd had some experiences lately. He was living in, um, in a trailer park. He said that he would see shadows in the trailer pretty often. And like, I'm... <laughs> I'm pretty skeptical. I feel like one of the things that happens a lot, like I, um, if you hear someone telling like a haunted house story, they'll say like, oh, it got like cold in a patch or I saw shadows out of the corner of my eye. And those, I just don't put too much stock in because I feel like those are things that can happen for many reasons. <laughs> so I wasn't prepared to really... Like, I was just like, yeah, sure. You know, I wasn't disbelieving him, but in the absence of, like, further evidence, I feel like my mind wasn't made up. He said he'd see shadows. And the other thing that he told me was happening was that his bed would shake all the time. Um, and he said it was super annoying. It would keep him up at night. Um, and... Later on, whenever he he eventually moved in to 
the house that I lived in with my family. So at the time it was my sister, myself, my mom, and Jordan. And um, our bed would shake too. And it was like pretty subtle, but it was definitely there. It wasn't like in the exorcist or something where the bed's like moving around or like levitating or anything, but it was still like a very distinct feeling. It was so weird. It was like thinking about it, like just sketches me out because I don't know, you're in bed, you're supposed to be like safe and comfortable. (laughs) Um, And it was like a really fast kind of, almost like a vibration. Like it would shake just sort of softly, but really quickly and with like a distinct rhythm. First time it happened when we were sleeping in bed together, he like woke me up and was like, hey, do you feel it? And I was like, no. But then as soon as I like was still, I think because I was expecting it to be like the big like shake, as soon as I was still, I was like, ew, like, okay, I do feel it. And it just, it felt almost like it was your body shaking. Like it almost didn't feel like it was the bed shaking. It felt like it was your body. And as I started to describe that to him, he was like, yeah, um, that's how I feel too. And it was just, I don't know. It was really, and at this point, I still was kind of like, I still thought maybe it's like something in the house doing it. Like maybe it's like water pipes or something that are like, because we had a very old house, like maybe it's something else, but then it would happen to me no matter where I went. And I was like, okay, it's not pipes or something in the house doing it. It's got to be something else. Is there any other time you felt that type of shaking? Like, like what would produce something similar? What would be the closest? This is like, okay, this is the closest thing that I don't know how relatable it'll be for people. So the house that I grew up in growing up was also like directly beside a railroad track. Um, But like we couldn't hang pictures up on the walls because they would just like fall off and stuff. But when a train was like maybe like a mile out, you could kind of subtly feel it coming and that's kind of what it felt like was like this just very subtle but like rhythmic shaking what was the rhythm like very fast like super just like like that like really fast it was like coming from your body and I hated it like I'd be trying to sleep and it would be completely like not happening and then suddenly I'd feel it happen and it was just like it felt like something was messing with you So while he was living there, we had a couple more incidents um, while we were still living in my house. Um, One was that the animals acted really weird about my bedroom and about um, my mom's dog in particular acted weird kind of about my my bed. So um, before he moved in there, my cat would come and hang out in my bedroom all the time. Um, and she stopped doing that at all. And it wasn't that she didn't like him. She got along with him well. Uh, she was a very friendly cat, always wanted to be on somebody's lap. If we weren't in my room, she'd be hanging out with us. But if we were in my room, she wouldn't come in. Um, my mom's dog would come into the room and just stare (laughs) at a spot above my bed. Um, and that freaked us out really bad. It's like that look, that like alert kind of posture and look that dogs get in. It's a German Shepherd, so it's like ears are kind of pointed forwards and it just looked like it was seeing something. So we're just like, again, like, ew, don't, don't like that. 
Um, and at one point I decided to see what would happen if I brought, if I like forced my cat into the room, like if I picked her up and brought her in there with me, um, cause she wouldn't come in of her own volition. I wanted to see if she would look at the same spot or like do anything. So I grab her, I bring her in, I shut the door and she freaked out. Like she got all puffy, you know, and she started just like making this like yowling sound <laughs> and she figured out how to open the door um, immediately. She just like got out of there so fast. She'd never done this before. I'd had her for two or three years. She like reached underneath the gap in the door and like pulled and just like got out. And before, if she'd been in my bedroom, um, she would just try to like push the door open and it's a pull door, so it didn't work. This is the only time I'd seen her um, figure out how to get out of the room without my help. Um, I felt super bad. I felt so bad. I didn't know that it was going to be like that. I thought maybe she'd be a little bit like sketched out. I didn't think that she was going to get actually scared. So I never brought her back into my room again. She wouldn't go in the room after that. Um, and then this one's so funny to me, but it's really creepy at the same time. But um, my mom was like, when she'd come in or out of the house and like walk to her bedroom, she hung out most of the time in her bedroom. Um, but while, while she'd be walking through the house, she'd just be like loudly complaining, like, God, these flies, I'm so sick of these flies. And after a while of this happening, my sister and Jordan and I ended up comparing notes. We were like, have you guys seen any flies? Um, what is she like talking about? And they were like, no, I haven't seen any. And we thought maybe she was just being dramatic. Like she saw a fly and was just like making a big deal about it. And this went on for maybe a week or two. And then she came into the room, my bedroom, while Jordan and I were in it. And she was, like, talking to us about something. And as she left the room, she was, like, standing in the doorway. And as she left the room, she said again, like, God, these flies or something like that. And a, like, cloud of flies flew in after her and, like, settled in my room. Like, what kind of—how what, do you—what do you mean cloud of flies? It had to have been between 50 and 100 flies. Like, house flies. Like, not, like, little ones that, like— kind of I've seen like the little tiny ones that will maybe like not like gnats or fruit flies yeah it wasn't that it was like house flies and um they just like came in after like as she was leaving they like transferred I guess from her into my room and we were just like in shock because she'd been talking about the flies this whole time and we'd never seen them and like I'm telling you like we'd seen her walk past us complaining about flies never saw them but um, we had to spend like days killing all of the flies that were in my room. They wouldn't leave the room. They were just in there and we had to like swat them and collect them and throw them out. And there were like days of that before we managed to kill all of them. <laughs> I've never seen anything like that in my life. Um, we were laughing about it, but also scared. We were like, what is going on? You know, there was another incident with flies. So I like woke up one morning and there was just like 
house flies on my bathroom window, like covering like the entire thing. Um, and around that same time, I woke up at one point and I heard, like I woke up, it was maybe like 11 o'clock in the morning. And I heard this like crazy, like demon voice. <laughs> like there's, it went like, it was like a horse if a horse was evil. Like I know that sounds crazy, but it was like, like this like weird and I sat there and I was like what the fuck was that and then it did the same like it did another really loud noise but it sounded like it was blowing air out of its nose like it sounded like an animal um and I was like freaked out another time I woke up and like you know how there's static discharges that like you hear like an electronic every once in a while like make like a popping noise I woke up and like every electronic thing that I had in my room it was like it was traveling around in circles like I'd hear a static pop from like my tv and then one from my playstation and then from my alarm clock radio and it was like going slow at first and then it kept like getting faster and faster like these electric popping noises and then it just stopped but it went on for a long time and I was just like oh okay <laughs> Okay, we have to take a quick break, but we will be right back. Springtime is here. I've recently had all of my windows open, letting in the breeze, the smell of fresh flowers blooming all over my neighborhood. This is what a house should smell like. It should not smell like your cat's litter box. Thankfully, Pretty Litter makes that very easy. Nothing beats Pretty Litter's ability to instantly trap odor. It's ultra-absorbent, lightweight, low-dust, and one six-pound bag works for up to a month. It also gives me peace of mind knowing Pretty Litter's crystals change color to indicate early signs of potential illness in my cat, like urinary tract infections, kidney issues, and more. This is especially useful now that my cat is hanging out constantly by our screen door, getting visitations from coyotes, raccoons, squirrels, other cats, who knows what else. So it's very helpful knowing that if he picks up anything weird from them, I'll notice right away in his litter. When I first got my cat Merlin, I tried using the cheap cat litter that comes in those huge, giant bags from the pet store. That stuff is awful. Some of it smells worse than the smells it's supposed to be covering up. It does not have to be like that. There's a better way to live. There's no reason for your house to smell like your cat's litter box. If your house smells like a cat's litter box, that's on you. That's not on your cat. Pretty Litter is amazing. You should give it a try. Go to prettylitter.com slash otherworld to save 20% on your first order and get a free cat toy. That's prettylitter.com slash otherworld to save 20% on your first order and get a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hi, this is Amy Poehler here to tell you about a new improvised show from Paper Kite Podcasts, the team that brought you Say More with Dr. Sheila. Check out our new parody podcast, Women Talking About Murder. It's a show about women talking about murder. Every episode features special guests, twists, turns, and the mystery of a missing co-host. Available on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Um, after we've been there for a little while, um, my mom kicked me out under kind of like, like I said, my mom and I didn't really get along 
And it had to do mostly with the fact that I was kind of raising my little sister. Like my mom was so irresponsible. Like while we were homeschooled, she expected me to do all the teaching. She just stayed in her room all day, like drinking. I was like, I had a lot of responsibility. And my sister was like pretty wild. Um, Like she always wanted to go out to like parties and just like trusted people she shouldn't have and stuff. And um, so I was put in this awkward position of like, I didn't have the power to make her not do anything. Um, And I was like, definitely super worried for her safety all the time. So I just kind of followed her around to places, you know, I'd end up at super sketchy house parties or like convincing her not to like have a handful of mystery pills from some person or like, yeah, it was like very stressful. And my mom knew that I had kind of absorbed those responsibilities, like the responsibility to take care of my little sister. And I think she resented that I was a reminder that she wasn't doing her job as a mom. And that kind of um, ties back into why I got kicked out. So I had gotten a scholarship. I was going to like, I'd gotten a pretty good scholarship. Um, It would have paid like roughly like 60% of my like tuition had I gone to Um, university. And I decided to go to community college for a couple of years. And I just saved all the extra money, the extra scholarship money so that I could transfer to university later. Um, And she, she was really upset about it. Like my dad died when I was 17, um, basically of doing too many drugs like his body was like destroyed he would drink like a handle of vodka a day and also was um taking like Vicodin and also was going to a methadone clinic like he was like just miss like just definitely abusing his body like to where I knew it was going to happen before it happened like we all knew that he was going to pass away um but um after he died, we got social security checks. Um, it was like a thousand a month, I think. And I wanted to move out. I was like, Hey, I'm going to move out. I'm going to take my sister, Michael with me. I don't think this is like a good place for her. And my mom was like, you can't, you can't take Michael. Um, and I didn't want to move out without her, though. Like, I really wanted to take the money and just move out, but I didn't want to leave my sister there because I knew that she would probably end up dead. Like, she was just really reckless, going through a lot herself. She really, I wasn't super close with my dad, but she was, and she took his death super hard, too. So I was like, I need to stay here. Um, But anyway, what ended up happening is I stayed so that I could... um, continue taking care of my sister and my mom made me give her all of the social security checks and keep in mind she didn't have a mortgage the house was paid off she didn't have um I don't know she didn't have like any I don't have any idea what she spent the money on you know what I mean like I was giving her a thousand a month um just because like I could tell that she wanted, she told me she wanted the money and that it was like rightfully hers. And she wanted me to start paying her rent, even though I was under 18 at the time. Like she used that as like kind of a pretense. And I was like, you know what, if you want it that bad, you can have all of it was kind of how it ended up. So I'd go cash the checks and bring her the money. Um, 
it was almost like on my part, like a test to see if she would take it. You know what I mean? Like I wanted to know, do you really just like, I don't know. And we didn't see any of it hardly. Like we, she never took us to the dentist. We didn't get haircuts. Like she didn't buy us clothes. Like I was buying that stuff. Um, So it's like, I have no idea what she was doing. And at the time she would disappear for days at a time and not even tell us where she, like we had no idea where she even was, you know? Um, So then later on, um, I had the scholarship money put away and she started, she would like make kind of backhanded comments about it pretty often or not backhanded, but like, yeah, I could tell she was unhappy that I was saving money at all. It's just, she was already unhappy, but she finally kind of landed on a reason. Um, she was like, I need to qualify for Medicaid or whatever so that my sister could have a medical procedure. She had like a mole she needed a biopsy on. And she was like, so you need to move out. And because um, that money in the bank, like we won't qualify. Um, I don't even know if that's true. It might be. No, I don't think that makes any sense at all. I'm just going to tell you that right now. Like. <laughs> That was kind of my, and I was like, but I didn't feel like arguing the point with her. So I was like, I'll pay. Like, please don't kick me out. Like, I will just pay for my sister's medical bills. Yeah, isn't isn't a mole biopsy like $200 at most? Yes, yes, exactly. Yeah, that's even like without insurance. Yeah, exactly. So I was like, I'll pay for it. Like, please, like, just, I'll pay for it, whatever. Um, And then she just said, like, I was like, I don't even remember exactly how she justified it, but she kicked me out. She kicked Jordan and I out. And it wasn't like that she was unhappy that Jordan was there either. She actually liked Jordan a lot more than she liked me. Um, So she kicked us both out. So yeah, we left. We moved into a trailer park. Um, My mom, like, okay, this is making my mom sound really bad. Um, And she really was terrible to us for a long time. But to her credit, I do want to say she got sober within a month of kicking us out. She felt so bad about it and realized that she had done it for like just no valid reason. And um, she had been an alcoholic since I was 11. And now I'm like and I think even before that a little bit, I don't really know. And she is sober to this day. Um, Like I've been to like Narcotics Anonymous class, like groups and stuff with her. Um, And she's really turned her life around. Like I still have a hard time being around her because I have all these just like super messed up memories and stuff. It's hard physically for me to be around her, but she's a totally different person. Do you think that was like her rock bottom moment probably? I think so. Yeah, I think that it was. Um, I mean, I'm speculating, but she probably knew why she wanted that money. And it was probably a terrible reason. And she knew she kicked her daughter out for whatever that was. I think so. And I think so while I was living there, she was kind of able to um, have some sense of denial about it. um, That she'd been bad to me, because like I said, a lot of the times she wouldn't even remember what she'd done. She'd be super awful to me. Um, and then if I wasn't like friendly the next day, um, she'd frame it as like, I have a bad attitude. Like I'm not a good person. And I think this moment just kind of brought it into 
yeah, there is like, it brought it into focus that I was offering to pay for my sister's medical bills. And instead of letting me do that, she just kicked me, kicked me out. And it was like effectively sabotaging like my future kind of like, that was the money that I had put away so that I could go to university. Um, I think she was in kind of like a bad crowd down here too. Like I said, she'd disappear for days and I didn't know where she was going. I don't have any confirmation that she ever used any drugs besides Xanax and alcohol, but I suspect that she did have, yeah, a deeper drug problem, especially because now she's going to Narcotics Anonymous, not Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, I don't feel like it's my business to ask her, but yeah. Um. Meredith, what do you think is like the halfway point of your story? Because I just realized we've been talking this whole time, but you still haven't even gotten close to telling me the thing that you actually emailed me about. Like all of this is leading up to the thing that you originally sent in the email and we haven't even touched on that yet. Trying to sort all of this in my head, there's like Jordan had this like weird stuff going on that seems to be connected to him. But I also think that my mom might have been kind of at the center of the stuff that was going on in our house. Oh, I think you had a whole party going on. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So I didn't want to say anything at first, but, um, you know, I don't claim to be an expert on this stuff. I don't even know if there is such thing as a paranormal expert, but I've heard a lot of stories and there seems to be a theme of these types of entities, I guess, showing up and sort of feeding off of negative emotions in the home or around a person or people. And I mean, based on what you're telling me right now, it sounds like there is a whole buffet going on in your house. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And um, so I don't know how it would work out timing wise, but I do kind of, I gave you like the very Cliff Notes version of my mom having like a very scary episode while my sister had taken like DXM. I always want to say DMX. DMX is not the same thing, but DXM. But my mom like tried to, um, she basically tried to kill me. (laughs) Um, And I feel like we should, I feel like I'll tell you this. You can tell me whether or not you think it should go on the podcast. I don't want to have my last name attached to this or anything, but I feel like, um, I'm comfortable talking about it, but it was like, I feel like good evidence that my mom was kind of, I don't know, like my sister and I have been talking about it and we're like, was she like possessed? Like what happened? We don't know. Um, but would you be down to hear? Obviously. (laughs) Okay. So, um, I had like, I mentioned earlier that I had insomnia, um, I had such bad insomnia that I basically, like when I was in high school, that I basically didn't sleep at nighttime. Um, It was like, I would fall asleep and I would instantly start having nightmares and I'd wake up and then I'd be too scared to go to sleep again until it was light outside. Like I can remember going to sleep every day at like 5 a.m. whenever I'd hear my neighbor's sprinklers kick on because that was like 5 a.m. and I was like, okay, the sun's gonna be up soon. So I'd fall asleep. And then I'd get like maybe two hours of sleep before school. So I wasn't really um, sleeping. And one of the things that I developed to cope with that, like to help myself get sleep was like, I found that if I slept in different places each night, 
um, it wouldn't happen as much and I could sleep better. So I'd sleep in the living room um, or I'd sleep um, on my floor, but my sister and I would sometimes swap bedrooms. Um, and this is important, I think, a little bit for what comes next. But um, so I was sleeping in my sister's room, my sister was sleeping in my room. And in the middle of the night, maybe like 12 or one, my mom comes in and she's like sobbing and she can't even hardly get words out. And she starts saying, she sounds like a little kid almost, like her voice is like slurred, she's sobbing and she's saying, Michael's on fire, Michael's on fire. And she's like, she's not wearing any like pants. She just has a shirt on and she's like tugging on her shirt and like just looks like super freaked out. Um, and I'm like, what do you mean? What do you mean she's on fire? Um, and she just keeps saying, she's on fire, she's on fire. And so I get up and I follow her into my bedroom where my sister is. And I think my mom was just trying to describe that my sister had a fever. <laughs> um, and I had, I think I had known that my sister was planning to do um, DXM that night. Like again, I felt responsible for my sister in a lot of ways, but I knew that if I tried to tell her not to do certain things, that it would alienate me and then I'd have no say in her life. So I'm I'm concerned, like, okay, is she like overdosing or something? Like that was my thought. Um, my mom still is like incoherent, just like sobbing. And I like ask my sister if she's okay. And she's like, yeah, I, I'm okay. I think I'm just sick. Um, my mom is like, we've got to take her to the hospital. And I was like, you can't drive right now. Like, I can tell that you're not fit to drive. And that set my mom off. Um, again, like I said, my mom, I think, really resented the fact that I was being, like, me being responsible for my sister kind of triggered her because, in, in like, um, contrast, it kind of highlighted that she wasn't being responsible. Um, so I was like, mom, like, it's okay. I like felt my sister's head. It was a little warm, but it, she wasn't on fire. You know, she wasn't dying. Um, so I was like, I'll just sit up with her and make sure she's okay. Um, and if it gets worse or anything, I'll take her to the hospital. And I was thinking in my head too, like, um, I, I knew that like there was a chance that my sister could have done too much of something. So I was genuinely saying like, I'll sit up with her. My mom would like leave the room and then I'd be sitting up with my sister just like I checked that she was okay she said she was okay and I was just gonna hang out in the room um and my mom would come back in the room and each time she was more angry like she was super super just mad at me for staying up with my sister and at one point I convinced her to give me her keys but then she'd come back in and demand the keys back. You know, I was like, just give me your car keys. I'll drive if we need to go to the hospital. But she kept asking for the car keys back. And I'd be like, I, I really don't think you should be driving. If Michael does need to go to the hospital, I'll drive her. It's okay. Like, I'm, I'm fine to drive. I don't mind sitting up. I'm going to keep an eye on her. But my mom was just getting more and more mad. And like, it wasn't unusual for her to get mad that was very frequent, but the, her overall like demeanor was just so weird to me. It was like a visceral like hatred of me that she was experiencing. Whereas 
typically, like, I think that hatred was there, but it was more subdued or under the surface. This was just, like, very blatant. And um, at one point, she starts, like, yelling that I am demonic. And she's like, look at all the stuff in your room. Like, I had artwork. I'm, I paint and stuff. So I had, like, paintings that I'd done. They're, some of them are kind of creepy, but they're not... They're really, like, if I showed you, you wouldn't feel like they were demonic. They're just kind of, like, surreal little... There's nothing... It's not, like, blood and guts or, like, demons or anything. It's... Honestly, it was pretty normal. Um, and she's gesturing just at, like, everything in my room and saying that I'm evil, I'm demonic, and you can tell by everything that I keep in my room. And I was just like, what, what are you talking about? Um, you should just go to bed. I'm going to take care of it. And she's like super close to my face and she's like spitting, like spit is coming out of her mouth while she's yelling at me. And I'm like, mom, like, please, you're spitting on me. You're getting spit on me. And then she starts actually spitting on me. She's like, you want to be, you want me to spit on you? You think I'm spitting? And she starts just like actually spitting in my face. And I was just like, okay, you really need to go to bed. That's not okay to do to me. Like you will, I think I told her like, you'll regret that, like, tomorrow, like, this isn't, I don't know why you're doing this, you know, like, please just go to bed, sleep it off, we can talk about it tomorrow, I'll take care of my sister, um, and, like, this was over the course of a few hours, right, so she just kept coming back in more mad each time, and, um, and I'm trying to keep it together so that I don't freak out my sister, my sister's probably having the worst drug experience anyone has ever had, like, she can hear all of this going on, at some point, I hear just, like, sobbing and screaming, um, and I hear this, like, banging sound coming from the kitchen, and so I walk out to check on my mom, see what's going on, and she has a giant kitchen knife, and she's chopping the counter with it, just, like, slamming it into the counter to the point that the counter, which was, like, um, like a laminate-covered kind of deal is splitting, like there were cuts in the counter. And I'm like, mom, like, um, can you give me the knife? Um, like, <laughs> can I have the knife? I'll put it away, like what's going on, you know? And she gets like super enraged. Like her eyes are just like full of like hatred for me. Like she looks like feral, you know, and I'm freaked out at this point. Like I was mad before and kind of like freaked out, but I'm like scared. I like kind of circle around her in the kitchen onto the other side of the counter where she is. And I'm like, please just give me the knife. Um, and like trying to talk her down. And she's just like, again, calling me like demonic. And she picks up the knife or like held it up like high by her head and was like with force, like, throwing it um she like moved really fast and then at the last second she opened her hand instead of like she like opened her hand maybe half a second sooner and I, it looked like she realized what she was doing you know what I mean like she picked it up she was throwing it at me she let go of it a little bit sooner than you would have if you had really wanted to like and we're standing maybe three or four feet apart it's not like so it was, I thought I was going to die. <laughs> like, I thought she was actually going to stab me, but it was like a moment happened in her head where she realized as she was doing it that she was doing it. And she threw it and it ended up kind of like landing 
down, I, I remember jumping out of the way. Like I remember like kind of dodging it. It landed by my legs. Like it like almost hit my calves, but it was like, she had wanted to kill me. <laughs> um, after this happens, she goes outside and is just like, now she's seeming sad. She's like, instead of being like super angry, she's like crying and like talking about how she's gonna kill herself. And I'm just like, this has escalated so far. And I'm like chilled, like I'm just like so freaked out. And I don't wanna explain what's going on to my sister. I'm wondering how much of it she can hear. We ended up being up until like four or five o'clock in the morning, but eventually she like tired herself out crying. Like it seemed to, that seemed to be a tipping point where she wasn't angry anymore. She was just like super sad and freaked out and she went to bed. She does not have any memories of this. And I don't know if it's because she was on something. Like, I don't know what happened. Um, to this day, this is the one thing that she doesn't believe me that happened. You know what I mean? Like she's apologized for everything else. Whenever this has come up, like in the, like I'd occasionally try to bring it up to her and she would just say, I don't think that happened. Like she'd scoff at me she'd like laugh about it. Like, I'm sure that's not what happened. Anytime I would like see the marks in the counter that my mom made, I'd just be like, well, what are these marks in the counter? <laughs> like you made those. Um, she looked like deranged, you know, she was super mad. Like her eyes are like glassy and watery. She's got this look of like disgust and rage on her face. Like she had been mad enough earlier to deliberately spit on me. You know what I mean? Like with contempt, like she was like calling me evil, saying I was demonic. Um, and she looked like cracked out. You know what I mean? Like her hair is like very frizzy in my memory. Like I said, she wasn't even wearing pants. She had on like a shirt, um, like a long shirt and just looked like super like in my mind when I look back at it I'm like yeah I could easily believe that she was possessed like she had the look of somebody who whether she's not in control of herself through like I don't know supernatural forces or if it's like drugs like because I think drugs can do that kind of thing to a person too like in my mind I don't know which one it was or if it was both but it was like it makes me like sick to think about it. It was so scary. And again, my mom and I had gotten into physical altercations before, like she's choked me before, but it wasn't like, even then she didn't look like, she just looked kind of drunk and mad, you know, but this was like, she looked, it's yeah, it's hard to describe, but it was very different from how she'd been. So two things that kind of made me think that there might have been some kind of like maybe she was being, I don't know, like influenced by something um, was that um, my sister, <laughs> and this isn't like out of like, I don't know. Okay, so my sister said that right before my mom came in the room, she had like a hallucination of a shadow person 
slipping in through my door and then going into her body. Like she said she like felt this thing and she's on drugs. So it's not like that means anything necessarily, but just creepy additional context, you know? Um, And so she saw this like entity come through the door, but she said this like really freaked her out. I don't know how common it is with um, DXM. But so she saw this thing come in and then my mom comes in after that, like immediately after that, like freaking out. Um, And then also um, my mom's fixation on like calling me evil and demonic. That was just super strange to me. She hadn't, she like, I don't know. I, I think she did get creeped out by the fact that I liked like horror movies and stuff. Um, but she'd never outright like called me evil or demonic. So it was just very strange that that was kind of like the lens she was looking at everything through. Um, and then I mentioned earlier that my mom was always like super in denial about there being any haunting going on, even though she definitely like like I said, the house was just constantly, there was like poltergeist kind of sounds just constantly in the house. Um, Like banging and footsteps. It would sound like people running sometimes, like super creepy. Um, Whenever we'd get into arguments and stuff, the lights would turn on and off. Like it was super common for that to happen. And my mom still denied it. Like she was just like, there's nothing going on. Um, While I was talking to my sister about this whole thing, um, our roommate, um, who ended up living with us like a couple years later in my family house, um, now he's living with us here in Tampa. He said my mom, like super drunk, came up to him one time and was like, this house is haunted. There's evil like stuff here. And he was Catholic. He like went to, my roommate was Catholic and went to mass and stuff. And she was like asking him to talk to the priest and have the priest come out and exercise, like cleanse the house. So it was like just, and then the flies thing. So like the flies were like apparently around her for like a week or two before they transferred into my room. So I feel like my mom was kind of at the center, maybe to a degree of the stuff going on in my house. Um, But yeah, that night was like one of the worst nights of my life. And like my sister's too, like she's in this very vulnerable state and there's just horrible stuff going on around her. Um, Super creepy. Like it could 100% just be chalked up to her being on something and having a bad episode, but the the vibes were really, really bad. (laughs) She said that she saw a shadow person like come in the doorway and go into where? Go into where? Into her. She said she felt it go into like like her body. I don't know. And it is weird then that my mom was like, I'm just thinking about it. My mom being like, your sister's on fire. Like that's a very specific word to use. And it's like creepy that that happened right after. Yeah, I don't know. Oh, we should probably take a break soon. This has probably been a lot for you to tell this whole story. Um, it's definitely going to have to be two parts. There's no, there's no way this is going to be one episode. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know a lot about DXM at all. Um, I do know one guy who's done a lot of it. 
he's a bit he's an interesting person. Uh, but we could definitely I could call him if you had any questions about this stuff. Oh man. Yeah. So I'd be curious to know if like seeing shadow people is common or if it's common. Want me to boot want me to jump him in here? Yeah, I'm down too. Is it okay if I also message my sister and see if she wants to come talk about it? Okay. I'm actually gonna call her if that's okay. I'll step out and call her real fast. Um, hey, are you back home yet? Okay, okay. I was gonna see if you wanted to come talk. You were talking about DXM um, and wanted to talk about, like, yeah, how that night was for you. Because you saw that shadow person. Are you, will you be back anytime soon? We could have you join on your phone. Yeah, yeah, I think that's fine. Okay, bye. Other World is executive produced and hosted by myself, Jack Wagner. The theme song is by Cobra Man. The soundtrack of this episode is by Juice Jackal. The song you're hearing right now is by Spear Club. Editing and engineering by Theo Schaefer. Artwork for our show is by Cul-de-Sac Studios. This is an independent show, so please, if you like this episode, tell your friends, subscribe, and leave a five-star review if you haven't already. If you want to follow us on social media, we're at OtherworldPod. Finally, if you or somebody you know has experienced something paranormal, you could send us that story at stories at otherworldpod.com. Stay tuned for part two of this episode coming out next week. My name's Jack Wagner, and you've been listening to Otherworld. Otherworld.